All right, kids can be dismissed. Yes. Man, the excitement there. I'm glad Valentina thinks so. <laughs> All right, turn your Bibles to 1 John. Um, we did cut the music a little bit short this evening because, as some of you may have heard, there is a sort of important football game going on uh, in about 45 minutes from now. So that gives me a pretty uh, definite time limit on my sermon. So you're welcome. All right. First John chapter 1. We're now in the second week of our series, Light Walkers, um, where we're talking about walking in the light of Christ. So we started this series last week. Uh, tonight we are in week two. Um, in August of 2017, um, millions of Americans were given the delight of witnessing a solar eclipse. Um, raise your hand if you were one of those people that went out in August of 2017 and was able to witness that solar eclipse. All right, a good, good number of you. Um, I was not able to witness the eclipse uh, because I work indoors and I work all the time and do nothing but work. And uh, all work and no play makes way a dull boy. So I didn't get to see it, but a lot of people did. Um, apparently it was one for the ages. Um, as a matter of fact, it was dubbed the Great American Eclipse. The Great American Eclipse because it was one of the extremely rare cases of having an eclipse that was visible at the same time across the entire contiguous United States. Um, in fact, prior to this Great American Eclipse, the last time that happened, the last time there was an eclipse that was visible across the entire country was June of 1918. So it's been a while. Um, and uh, I think the next one uh, will be in just a few years uh, from what I'm reading in 2024. So I'm going to have my chance then, hopefully. Um, this was a giant event. There were, there were a number of people who scheduled uh, their marriage proposals during this eclipse. Um, a number of people who even scheduled their wedding during this. Uh, though I'm not sure what kind of omen that's supposed to send. Um, honey, now that the earth is completely blocked from the sun, this seems like a good time to tell you we should spend our lives together. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but a number of people did that. Now, I'm sure that you remember uh, in the weeks leading up to the eclipse, um, experts were warning people to not stare directly at the sun, which seems like a very obvious piece of advice to begin with. Um, but apparently people needed reminding. Uh, a, a number of people had the false assumption that during an eclipse, since the sun is mostly or partially blocked, that it would be safe to look at. Uh, that is not so. Looking at the sun is never, ever, ever a good idea. Um, science tells us that when you look at the sun, your retina is flooded with ultraviolet light. When this happens, um, your cornea, which is the outer layer of the eyeball, immediately begins to burn. Um, if you stare at the sun long enough, it could burn a hole through your eye. 
Uh, one scientist demonstrated this by using a, a pig's eye. He took the pig's eye and, and he put it um, behind a telescope that was pointing at the sun. And uh, in a very short time, there was a hole burned directly through the eye. So, never ever a good idea to look at the sun. So, the solution for this, uh, for people to be able to see the eclipse, uh, quickly began to blow up on the internet, and that was solar eclipse glasses. Um, consumers were instructed to purchase solar eclipse glasses that had printed on them the certification that stated that they had passed industry standards of safety. Statements were released by the um, American Aeronautical Society, um, by NASA, saying that only glasses with this certification were safe. Now the problem is, that didn't stop a lot of knockoff vendors from putting glasses on the market that though they had not been tested according to industry uh, safety standards, still had that certification printed on them anyway. And so, a lot of people unknowingly purchased knockoff solar eclipse glasses. Uh, There was one particular school in Nebraska that purchased 7,500 pairs of glasses to distribute to their student body, only to find out that they were fake. Now, thankfully, this happened prior to the eclipse, not during. Otherwise, it would have been the eyeball apocalypse at this school. So thankfully, they found out uh, beforehand. This also happened to another college in Madison, Wisconsin. But not everyone was so lucky to be rescued. Uh, There were a number of people, again, who unknowingly purchased uh, fakes and then used them during the eclipse. Uh, Dr. Raj Maturi, an an ophthalmologist in Indianapolis, described the case of one man in particular uh, that suffered significant vision loss because he was using uh, fake glasses. He said that there was damage burned into this man's eye permanently, and the damage is burned in the shape of an eclipse. Now, I'm reading this story, and I'm thinking to myself, dude, Did you not realize at the time, something must be wrong with these glasses? Okay, how long did you stand there like an idiot staring at the sun with your eyes burning and not think to yourself, maybe these things don't work. Maybe I should not be doing this. Part of me thinks maybe he deserved it a little bit, Um, but that's probably a very mean thing to say, so I'll move on. Uh, Richard Feinberg, a spokesperson for the American Astronomical Society, summed up the dilemma by saying this, The market has been overrun with counterfeits and fakes, many of them being sold on Amazon. It's become a complete freaking mess. If you don't have proper glasses, the infrared radiation can literally cook your retina. Uh, Just out of curiosity, did anyone here purchase sun, uh, uh, solar eclipse glasses. Anyone? No. Okay. Well, you probably uh, missed the mark on that one, as most people did. Um, If you had been one of the few to purchase them, you also could have been one of the lucky few to sell them on the secondhand market after they were sold out 
because the demand was so high. In fact, um, according to one report, there were some being sold on eBay for as much as $24,000 a pair. That's for someone who really wants to stare at the sun. These, uh, these solar eclipse glasses are made out of this black polymer infused with carbon particles. And whereas regular sunglasses block out about 10% of, uh, of daylight, solar eclipse glasses block out nearly all visible light and are roughly 100,000 times darker than sunglasses. So, what this tells us is that the only way to look at the sun is to have a reliable go-between. And there are countless fakes, but there is only one real thing. And if you have that go-between, you can marvel at the light instead of being blinded by it. Today, we will see in 1 John that God is light. Christ is the go-between that allows us to see the light without being destroyed by it. And like an eclipse, sin stands between us and God. It blocks the light. But God is faithful. And no matter what we have done, his forgiveness is available to us to welcome us back into the light. So, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. We will be looking at verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, point number one, light is the essence of God's being. Light is the essence of God's being. To put it simply, what this means is that light is not something that God does. Light is something that God is. It's not something that he does, it's something that he is. Living Letters Commentary notes the the Greek translation of the phrase, God is light. The Greek is otheos phos estin, and translated literally it reads, the God, light is. Or in plain English, God is light. It is not that God is the light, nor that God is a light, but God is light. There is no definite article, A or the. There's no definite article here, which means that the adjective is describing an essential quality, a quality of essence. Later on in this book, in chapter 4, John will use the same type of language to say God is love. Not that God loves the verb. God is love. 
you and I have the capacity to love. We can show love. There are people, there are things that we love, but we can't say that we are actually love. God, on the other hand, actually is love. In the same way that God is love, John tells us here, God is light. It's not something that he does, it's something that he is. And so what that means is that everything that emanates from God is emanating from the love and the light that defines his nature. Every single one of the attributes that he shows emanates out of the essence that he is. Now, interestingly, there are only a few places in the Bible that say God is in this way. And what I mean by that is that there are a few times in the Bible, only three, as a matter of fact, there are only three times in the Bible that God is described as a noun without a definite article. There are many places that God is described with an adjective, like God is gracious, God is merciful, God is great, God is kind, etc., uh, etc. Et These are all adjectives describing things about him. There are also places where he's described as a noun with a definite article. Places like God is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. God is the alpha and the omega. God is a consuming fire, um, etc., etc. But there are only three places, three places in the entire Bible where God is described as a noun without a definite article. And John records all three. In his gospel and here, John says, God is spirit, God is love, God is light. So every adjective that describes God, every adjective that describes one of his attributes comes from one of these essential qualities. So take, for example, the the adjective mighty. When we say God is mighty, What that means is that his might emanates from his essence. That means everything about his might is true of these three things. It is a spiritual might. Now, that doesn't mean that it isn't also a physical might. And we'll talk about this more as we go through the book of 1 John because this is going to address the Gnosticism that John uh, fought so hard against. But to say that his might is a spiritual might also means that it overrides the, the physical Because the physical is built upon the spiritual. It's also true that his might is a loving might. And it is also true that his might is a bright might. Because God is light. Now this isn't the only place that John speaks of God in this way. Or or records Jesus speaking of himself. uh, Or the Father in this way. For example, uh, in uh, the Gospel of John uh, that we looked at the beginning last week, John begins his, his gospel by saying, uh, describing Jesus by saying, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So among the first recorded words of John are describing Jesus as the true light. Later on in John's gospel, Jesus describes himself in this way. And John is the one who records it. John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Later on, uh, one more chapter in John's Gospel, in chapter 9, verse 5. In the context of healing a man born blind, Jesus says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he anoints the man's eyes and he heals his sight. And in verse 39, he says that he came into the world so that those who do not see might see. So John, more than anyone else, communicates to us this essential truth about God. But John is not the only one who does this in Scripture. John's description fits with the rest of the authors of the Bible. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, describes God as the father of lights. Peter, in one of his letters, invites us to worship him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light, which was the basis for the song that we started with uh, at the beginning. Paul tells Timothy that God is the sovereign king and Lord of lords who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. And indeed, the very first words that God speaks in creation in the book of Genesis are, let there be light. And Genesis says, and there was light. But we know from the order of the creation account that when God said, let there be light and there was light, he's not referring to the sun. Because the sun is not created until day four. The sun, the moon, and the stars are not there yet. So when God says, let there be light and there was light, what was the light that he was referring to? It's Christ. Christ shining into the darkness. Whom John tells us in John 1 that all things are created by him, for him, and through him. Before this, there was nothing but darkness. But when Christ enacts his creative work, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. From the very beginning, God has always been the light shining in the darkness. And here, John further clarifies it by saying, And in him is no darkness at all. So God is like the sun, whose light is shining on us. But even though the sun is always shining, there is something that can block us from the light of the sun, our sin. Take a look at verse 6. He says, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So here is point number two. Sin is a willful eclipse. Now, eclipses, of course, are a natural phenomenon occurring when the orbits of the sun and the moon coincide with one another. And they're not bad at all. And furthermore, it's not bad when we use various means to block the light of the sun, especially for you white folk. Uh, That's usually a very good idea. Uh, But we continue with the analogy. There are many ways that we block out the light of the sun. There are many ways that physically we can walk in darkness, even though the sun is still shining just as bright as it ever was. And the same is true spiritually. Even though the sun is always shining, 
Even though the brightness hasn't reduced in the slightest, there are still ways that we can willfully walk in darkness. And sin is a way that we decide to block out the light of the sun by putting something in the way. And that is why I say it is a willful eclipse. John gives us an example of this in chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10, where he says, Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So he tells us there that one who hates his brother is walking in darkness, whereas one who uh, loves his brother is in the light. Now, when we add to this truth that God is love, we know that to love someone is always to treat them in ways that point them directly toward God. So if we are treating people in any way that doesn't point them to God, if we're treating people in ways that point them away from God, John tells us that we are walking in darkness. Uh, John Piper points out another example that John gives us by comparing the parallel between uh, verses uh, 17 and verses 8 in chapter 2. Verse 8, he says, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Then in verse 17, The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, John tells us that the world and its desires are passing away. So part of what is passing away is the desires of the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Or stated another way, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So to walk in darkness means to walk in the desires of the world. And so often what we focus on are the bad actions that are committed. And yes, bad actions are bad actions indeed. But beneath bad actions are broken desires. Desires for the wrong things. And part of walking in the light means having the right desires. Now, you've probably heard uh, or, or even said, you can't help how you feel. You can't help how you feel. But that is not true. To a large degree, you can control your feelings. This idea that you can't help what you feel is wrong. Or, or to put it another way, the heart wants what it wants. It's a catchy song, but it is a garbage excuse. And the reason why is because decisions shape desires. Decisions shape desires. When we consistently decide to do something, it will deeply affect the way that we desire. And I'm not saying that that's easy or, or short, short term. It is a long term process of rewiring desire. But it is absolutely possible. For example, uh, when I was growing up, I never liked drinking water. Water to me was too plain. It had no taste. Why would I want to drink water when there are delicious things that I can drink, like tea and juice and soda? 
but little by little, I started to drink just a little bit more water. Uh, I would squirt that Mio stuff in it, or I'd mix something else in it, um, and then I'd begin to wean myself off of that little by little. And what I found was that the more water I drank, the more I acquired a taste for it. Now I've reached a point where it is almost all that I drink. And when I'm thirsty, I don't want soda or tea or, uh, or anything else. I want water. Because my decisions over uh, a long period of time slowly shaped my desires. Now you may think to yourself, I just don't want the things that God wants me to want. Or the flip side of that, I know that what I want are bad things. And yes, that is absolutely a struggle. And even the Apostle Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7, where he he talked about that battle between the flesh and the spirit, the old and the new nature. And he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I keep doing. And every time I want to do something good, I, I feel this other desire in me. And there's this back and forth battle, absolutely. But it doesn't mean that we should give up. We have to decide to walk in the light one step at a time. Point number three, duplicitous lives are like fake eclipse glasses. So remember we talked about how Amazon was flooded with people who sold fake eclipse glasses. And uh, they did so by making them look exactly like genuine eclipse glasses. And and even though they had the right words printed on them, they had the the correct certification on them, and and at first glance they looked real, they were cheap plastic that in the end did nothing but harm the owner. You would know, hopefully, (laughs) as soon as you put on a pair of fake glasses and start staring at the sun, these things don't work. Well, John makes it very clear that if our lives don't match up with our words, we are no better than those peddlers on Amazon. In fact, he says we're liars. Look again at verse 6 and then verse 8. He says, If we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves And the truth is not in us. Now, I don't want to spend a tremendous amount of time belaboring this point, but it absolutely needs to be made. It is very easy to say the words, I'm a Christian. It's even easier to say, I believe in God. It's easy to talk about prayer, to mention Bible verses, or or refer to the man upstairs. It's easy to go to church sometimes. It's easy to give God credit when things go well or to post Christian things online. But John makes it very clear that if we say those things, but our lives don't match up with those words, we're walking in darkness. He he says we're liars. He, He talks here about practicing the truth. He says if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This term in Greek, the the word practice, is written in the present tense, which means that it's intended to be continual. 
It's consistent. It is ongoing. It's a lifestyle. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we won't sin. Absolutely, we will. We will fall. We will trip. We will have times where we do not have lives that match up with our actions. But what it means is that the pattern of our lives consistently indicates a matching of word and life. I've mentioned up here before that that 70% of Americans consider themselves to be Christians. 70%. That is nearly a three-quarters majority of our country. Um, But does society look the way that we might expect it to look if that were actually the case, that three-quarters of people in the nation were Christ followers? Of course not. Because out of that 70% of people who, who claim to be Christians, there are a very minute percentage of people who find church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, evangelism, truth, a bunch of other things actually needed. A very minute percentage of that 70% actually sees Scripture as being the foundation, God as being the only way, etc., etc., So that means there's a ton of people that say, I have fellowship with him, but spend their life walking in darkness. Now, the last verse of this passage seems very odd. Uh, Look at verse 10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, we might read that and say, who on earth would ever say anything like that? Why would anyone say, I have no sin? I don't know anyone who would think that they have never made a mistake or claims to be perfect. Does anyone here claim that they've never sinned or or are perfect? Of course not. And if you raised your hand, well, there's your first mistake. Um, But that's not what John is saying here. Remember, he said that in verse 8, people who were walking in darkness are deceiving themselves. They're walking in self-deceit. So, what does one sound like when they're deceiving themselves? When someone is, uh, is deceiving oneself, what are some of the things that they might say? In our modern vernacular, they might say things like, I'm a pretty good person. My good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not perfect, but compared to some people, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I mean, after all, I've never murdered anyone. I've never raped anyone. I've never stolen uh, X, Y, or Z. I, comparatively speaking, I'm better than the worst. To deceive oneself means that we're not understanding the truth. And what the truth is about our spiritual state is that we are entirely sinful. We have all fallen short of the holy standard of God and we are desperate for his grace. We are desperate for his mercy. And unless a loving God saves us, we are doomed. We should be broken hearted by the weight of our sin, by the depth of our own evil. We should be aware that no one deserves the love of God. No one deserves his mercy. And we should be blown away that he gives it to us anyway. That is the truth. 
But most people see themselves as being average, decent, pretty good people who really only need God when something terrible happens. Most people aren't ravaged by their desperate need for God. Most people want to just fit God in wherever it is convenient. Most people are content with God being a part of their lives rather than their entire lives being built on the foundation of their faith in him. Most people are okay with believing in God, but few are okay with saying, God, you paid the price of my sin with your own blood, and because of that, I am yours. You're the master. You're the Lord. You take control. I will follow you wherever you say, and I will submit to you in everything. So you have to ask yourself, is that you? Are you saying with your mouth that you have fellowship with him, but in your daily life you are actually walking in darkness? It is self-evaluation time. I don't want any of us to be deceived. I want to give the the Spirit occasion to open our eyes with, with truth and convict us. And I want to remove any possible barriers that we might have to help us understand the truth, to help us submit to that truth. And so beautifully, John removes yet another barrier for us in verse 9. He says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So eclipses. Eclipses are cool events. They're they're cool visuals. Because the light of the sun or moon is being temporarily blocked from our vision. It's fascinating. But it's also not permanent. It's not complete either. There's never been a time where the sun is entirely blocked. And the world is plunged into darkness. That has never happened. Nor has there ever been anything significant enough to block us completely from the sun. And, according to scripture, nor will there ever be. But, there are many people who believe that their sin is a permanent blockage, eclipsing the light of God. Many people believe that their their sin is too big too severe, too awful, or too great in number for God to ever overcome, for his light to ever truly shine on them. Some people believe that God could not possibly love someone like them with all that they've done or with all that has been done to them. And that, my friends, is a terrible lie. Look again at verse 7, especially the end. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, John begins in that verse by saying, if we walk in the light, then this is possible. And we've already established what it means to walk in the light. It means to walk in truth. It means to be honest, to acknowledge what our state is before the Lord, to submit ourselves to him. And literally anyone can do that. 
Literally anyone can submit themselves to God. There is no restriction placed on who can walk in the light. Because walking in the light simply means to submit ourselves to God. Any person can do that. And following that is the promise. If we walk in the light, Jesus cleanses us from what sin? I want everyone to say it. All. He cleanses us from what? All sin. All sin. Listen, there's not a whole lot that doesn't fit under the umbrella of all. In fact, I would say everything fits under the umbrella of all. So do you know what sins are included in all sins? All sins. That means there is no one under the sound of my voice that has ever committed any sin that cannot be forgiven. Yes, even that one. And that one. Yes, even you. Verse 9 says that he forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then there's something else about this verse that you might not have considered. Notice that John tells us that God is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. And and that's interesting. It's interesting because he doesn't say that God is faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins. It doesn't say that he is faithful and gracious to forgive us our sins. It doesn't say he is faithful and patient or faithful and willing. It says that he is faithful and just. Why does he use that word. See, so many times when I have sinned for the thousandth time in a row and I am begging God for forgiveness, please God, will you ever forgive me for what I've done? And I'm battling in that moment with the weight of my guilt and my shame, grappling with the damage of my choices, and I struggle with how God can forgive me again. When I have trouble forgiving myself, And my flesh tells me there's no way he's ever going to let you off the hook this time. But John says that God is faithful and just. And here is what that means. On the cross, Jesus paid the full penalty of my sin. So when he hung on the cross, that means he took upon himself every sin I will ever commit in my entire life. If from this day forward I live another 50 years and sin another million times, he has already taken the weight of every one of those sins upon himself and paid that price in full. So that means when I accept the free gift of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ, that means that I stand, uh, I no longer stand condemned before God for those sins. He has already paid for those sins on the cross. So what that tells me is that if God were to condemn me for my sin after Jesus has already paid for it, that would be unjust. That would be God demanding a price a second time after it's already been paid in full. Demanding a payment that has already been paid would be unjust. And so he accepts the payment of Christ on the cross and gives me his complete forgiveness, which is not only a testament to his faithfulness, it's a testament to his justice. 
I don't have to beg God to forgive me. He already has. When I come to him begging for forgiveness, he would say to me and to you, you don't have to beg for what I have already given you. You need to walk in truth again. Stop walking in darkness. Accept my cleansing. Follow me. Uh, Manny, I just got a text here, um, if you wouldn't mind uh, walking out. My friends, I pray that every single one of us would come to a place where we hold nothing back from God. Where, where there's nothing that we view as powerful enough to eclipse His light. I pray that if there's anyone here or listening that's never submitted to that light, that tonight would be the night that we lay down our fear, that we lay down our pride and ego, that we commit to walking in the light as He is in the light. I pray also that if there's any here who are struggling with how God could possibly love you completely, that tonight would be the night that you realize he completely knows you and yet completely loves you. And that you would give yourself to him. And when you do, what awaits you is not in this life ease or lack of difficulty or the absence of obstacles. What awaits you is light that you need to walk through those things with confidence. What awaits you beyond this life, then, is what would be previously described as unapproachable light. We will walk on the surface of the sun. Eternity as light walkers. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that you would convict us uh, of this truth. God, that you would encourage us with this truth. Lord, that if there are any here who have never submitted themselves to you in this way, that tonight would be the night that they do that. God, I pray for those who are listening online or watching the video. Lord, that you, your spirit would guide them into truth as well. Lord, thank you for the gift of your grace. Thank you for your gospel, that even though we don't deserve it, you give it anyway. Now, Lord, as we close, I pray that our hearts would respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As, uh, as Daryl plays our closing song, um, there may be ways that the Spirit is working on your heart, and, and if that's true, I'm going to be standing right down here at the bottom, and, and you can come and, and just ask for prayer or, um, or start a conversation. Um, during that time. Also in the back, uh, I want you guys to know that there's a few relevant items for us tonight. Among them are um, a couple of games that we'll play during the Super Bowl, um, connect cards if you have a prayer request, and uh, a place also to drop your offering and your tithe. So if you would stand, uh, Daryl will play our closing song.